Hi, and welcome to The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And this week, we're going to be doing a somewhat depressing breakdown of the Supreme Court's oral arguments in uh, Trump v. Anderson, the case about the Colorado uh, Colorado officials, Colorado courts ruling to bar Trump from their ballot since, you know, he did an insurrection um, and uh, Trump challenged that. And it looks like, well, I'm just going to give a spoiler alert. It looks like seven, maybe eight of the justices are going to side with Trump. Um, yeah, it's real sad, but we had, uh, there are multiple <laughs> listeners who asked, we had, we had previewed this case, um, earlier and they asked why the oral arguments did not seem to address the issues that we had previewed. Um, so we're going to cover that both what they said and what they didn't say. Matt, you know, you, you come into this with telling people it's going to be depressing, right? And it's like starting sex by saying like, listen, I'm on an SSRI and I'm not going to come. And it's like, okay, well, you know, we might still really enjoy ourselves here. Like our, our listeners might enjoy just the hugging and the rubbing, you know? That's, that's true. And I just want to say that doesn't mean all of it's going to be depressing, (laughs) just some of it. Listen, everybody knows that the best kind of Twizzler is Twizzler Pull and Peel, and everybody knows that the two best kinds of Twizzler Pull and Peel are stale and frozen. This is the law. Oh, good to know. I I also think about Dimitri Martin called grapes the fruit of hope. (laughs) Because if you eat a bad grape, the next one might be amazing. (laughs) Okay, listen, can can we real quick bust out some grape recommendations? Sure. If you have heard of the cotton candy grape and not tried it, you're an idiot. They're amazing. They're expensive. So just like wait until you see them on sale if they ever get there. Secondly, witch's fingers, which are like long, like tubular, dark grapes. Two Mm -hmm. amazing grapes. If this is a food podcast at the end of the day, then we must give a grape (laughs) recommendation. I I love that. I think that, you know, let's start with the eaten, eaten um, uh, section. We're going to we're going to go with, uh, I think, custom fruits <laughs> um, like we are in a golden age of um, awesome, like new fruit varieties. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm going to kick this off. So th- we are also in an explosion <laughs> of apple varieties. Jazz. Jazz yeah. all day. So I was going to ask you, so, you, so what, what your favorite was. Apparently it is jazz. Okay, so someone someone literally DM'd me because I post a lot of my favorite fruit varieties. Another one, red. Okay, if you're a pear person, if you're not, like just sit down and be wrong and be silent and quiet in your wrongness. <laughs> but if you are a pear person and you see star crimson, S-T-A-R-K-R-I-M-S-O-N, star crimson red pears, holy fuck. It is like if a whole package, a family-sized tube of Starburst fucked a pair, but the exchange, but the the <laughs> resulting uh, offspring stayed a fruit. It is amazing. But yeah, jazz apples, same thing. Like, rave-worthy. Yeah. So, first of all, I want to see, I mean, I want to rule 34 this bitch. Like, someone make that uh, pair. <laughs> Uh, uh, Jolly Ranchers, whatever, <laughs> Starburst, go for it. Um, I don't know how the biology of that will work, but you people are creative. Show us how it's done. 
I mean, sticky, it's it's going to be sticky. That's all I know. Either way, it's going to yeah. be juicy. It's going to be sticky. And uh, to go with you, I know that the um, the Honeycrisp is America's favorite apple. Abs- oh, oh, another good one. And the Honeycrisp is America's favorite apple for a lot of reasons. It's large. It's firm. <laughs> it's sweet. All things Americans love. But there is a superior offshoot of the Honeycrisp, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that is the Envy apple. Mm. It is as if the Honeycrisp apple, the sunny, you know, bright, uh, uh, optimistic Honeycrisp, instead like kind of went through a vaguely gothic phase <laughs> and like started wearing a lot of like deep purples and like crimsons, like velvet. Yeah, yeah. Went went through uh, her, uh, her um, God, Jesus Christ, the lead singer of Fleetwood Mac, for fuck's sake. Oh, yeah. Um, whose name I can't remember. Stevie Nicks. <laughs> Stevie Nicks. Yeah. Tony Crispin or Stevie Nicks face. Exactly. Or like uh, started reading a lot of Anne Rice and like, mm. you know, and uh, they're like darker <laughs> colored and they retain a lot of the classic like textural uh, uh, aspects of the Honeycrisp. They are large. They are firm. Fuck they got yeah. that lovely bite. But they are a little not – they're not as one-note sweet. Mm. Um, I find them a little bit more complex. So the Envy Apple is my, like, quintessential perfect apple. Also, um, who, do, how, who do I get in contact with to get uh, Apple's marketing team? Because this naming – these naming conventions are incredible. I know, right? All I have to say is the names are amazing. Not all of them are hits. Not all of them are, are absolutely incredible. Um, but I have to say, as someone growing up in Apple Country in New York, <laughs> like the sheer wonderful ability to just see new fruit varieties constantly <laughs> coming up, worth a shot, and occasionally blowing our pants off. Wait, a good can, time to be alive. Is this is this how we like? I think that our our sort of Patreon um, content has legs. <laughs> purely as a cooking show do you know what i mean like like some days we have fruit reviews and sometimes we uh have you know we both uh, do an on the road with our food trucks Mm -hmm. our favorite food trucks or something i don't know i mean that sounds fantastic i mean and in new york city there is there are a lot of fucking food trucks um i also want to say um I will also be willing to, for five bucks a month per per subscriber, um, read a certain, a limited time amount of uh, cursed fanfic on the air. And I will make it as erotic as humanly possible. Make It's going to happen. Now, now it has to happen. <laughs> so if you want to hear cursed erotic fanfic on our Patreon. In my you know, sultry get, tones. Yeah. Let us know. <laughs> at Burp Stew. Yeah. Uh, Actually, let us know what you would pay for that, because maybe we're aiming too high at five bucks a month. I don't know. There's probably someone out there who is like getting out the big guns has like a bar of gold with your name on it. Uh, But the shit they want you to read is, let's just say niche. Oh, it's going to be like zero to shit eating in, in, you know zero to coprophagia like a magnetic train taking off that's why it's going to be private feed patreon only (laughs) (laughs) we don't want to get delisted from the major platforms thank you very much (laughs) all right uh speaking of shit eating um so let's talk uh supreme court 
<laughs> Boo. Yeah. So Trump v. Anderson, as we said, it's about whether or not Trump can even be on the ballot. Colorado, among other courts, this is, deals with the case coming out of Colorado, said, nah, he did an insurrection. 14th Amendment insurrection clause says, nope, you can't do it. We covered the details of that insignificant detail in a previous episode, so just go there. Listen to that first if you want to hear the actual legal issues um, that should have decided this case. Yeah. But instead, we got many, many references to Griffin's case. (laughs) So did you have any fucking idea what they were talking about? I sure didn't. I sure absolutely did not. I did because I'm a weirdo (laughs) uh, who reads cases uh, from the uh, mid-1800s and knows them by heart. So that's what we so, rely on you for here. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. So Griffin's case, or officially known as Ex Parte Caesar Griffin. Um, by the way, Caesar Griffin definitely is a stripper name. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, anyway, this is a case from 1869. I want to note it is not a Supreme Court case. So it is not binding precedent. It was ruled on by then Chief Justice Chase riding circuit, which incidentally, if you, so what does, so if the lower courts are known as the circuits, what do you think riding circuit was? Matt, like, I know, I know that I have a part to play here, but I'm going to fail at that even today. Well, for the first 101 years of the Supreme Court's existence, the justices, literally, because there weren't enough judges, the Supreme Court justices would have to ride around the country a couple times a year and rule as lower court judges. Yep. Literally riding circuit because you're riding a goddamn horse. Incredible. Yeah. So this is where we're going. This is where we're ass pulling out of riding a horse <laughs> to rule in a lower circuit. So this is important. So there are two kinds of precedent. There is binding precedent or mandatory precedent, and there is, you know, things that are non-binding that can be called persuasive. I already, already, we're we're in language that gives me the heebie-jeebies just a little bit. So if the Supreme Court rules on something and they're like, yo, Virginia, do this, is the Supreme Court ruling mandatory or merely persuasive? Mandatory. Yeah, right? 100% mandatory. You can't ignore it. <laughs> SCOTUS said you fucking do it, right? Similarly, if you're a district court in Virginia and the appellate court above you ruled on something, that is also mandatory precedent. It could get overturned by SCOTUS, but as long as it's good law, still mandatory, you're still bound by it. Yep. Anything outside of that is merely persuasive. You can use it to kind of guide you, but it is generally not what actually decides the case. Yep. So if all you're relying on, if you're relying heavily on something that is merely persuasive, you probably have a weak case. (laughs) Off to a good start, in other words. That's what I'm hearing from you. We're, We're off to a strong start. So what does it tell you that Griffin's case came up for Trump's attorneys almost immediately and for the conservative justices? I mean, it sounds like uh, they're, as usual, about to try to put some real bullshit in play, some real nerf balls in play where we should have regulation game balls. Thank you. <laughs> the instant you're like, they're relying so heavily on a case, A, most people have never heard of, B, is not mandatory, 
and C <laughs> is from 1869 and was, I want to note, was mooted a year later by Congress. Yo. Like, we are starting off real bad. Things are bad. <laughs> and so just so you know, the holding of Griffin's case is essentially, right, essentially says it's about whether or not a judge who was formerly a Confederate, right, <laughs> were they barred from holding office on its own just by the 14th Amendment doing it immediately, <laughs> right? Justice Chase said no. Uh, this would have to be done by essentially by Congress, that Congress would have to remove them. I want to note a year later, Congress passed that, right? <laughs> passed that authority. And also Justice Chase later reversed his opinion in saying that someone like Robert E. Lee or Jefferson Davis would be prevented from being president or holding office. So I want to note to you all of the legal defects. I, I, okay, great. Okay, great. Off to a great start. Great. I'm not even going to start asking questions yet. Okay. <laughs> so this goes on and on and on. So I want to note that Justice Thomas asked the first question, right? For asked once. Asked a question. I wow. It is pretty much the only thing he contributes. Great. And that's ask, asking whether Section 3 of the, uh, the Insurrection Clause of the 14th Amendment is self-executing, which what led us to Griffin's case. Yeah. And then basically, uh, he goes to sleep. <laughs> he basically doesn't talk again. <laughs> right. Um, Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts then raises the hypothetical. What if someone came into a, sec a state secretary of state's office and said, hey, I took the oath spe specified in Section 3, participated in an insurrection, and I want to be on the ballot. Does the secretary of state have the authority to say no insurrectionist? You can't be on the ballot. Uh, uh, you, you tell me. Trump's lawyers say no, they don't have the authority. They have to put him on the ballot anyway. Okay. Okay. So this is a problem. Um, yeah. So this happened in, you know, in the post-war period hmm. where there were Confederates who tried to get onto ballots and sometimes they would get uh, a waiver. Sometimes they did not. And the House would not seat them sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Right? But I want to note, it was never actually litigated at the time in those states. Because guess where the insurrectionists were from? Which states? I mean, southern states, obviously. Yeah. They were from the fucking Confederacy. Yeah. So the state governments there aren't going to bar them from the ballot. Right. Right. So they never actually tried. This was never actually litigated. That was simply the practice at the time because guess what? They were still fucking insurrectionists, all yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that this happened is not, doesn't particularly tell us very much. Right. Yeah. And I also want to note here that ballot practices differed vastly back then. Right. We didn't have things like primaries. So like, Trying to use that and port that tradition onto the current system is just baldly wrong. Right. Right. So I'm going to ask you a question here. Let's say you are 25 years old and you walk into the Secretary of State's office and you say, I'm 25. I'm ineligible to run for president. Here's my paperwork. Put me on the ballot. What does the Secretary of State say? No, you do not meet the constitutional requirements to run for president. Easy peasy. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. 
So if you want to defeat such a such a limitation, right? For example, you don't have the filing fee, or your paperwork is wrong, or you don't live in the state, yeah. right? What you do is you remedy that. So if you are before you file your paperwork, so if you are an insurrectionist and you're worried you're going to be barred, what is the remedy to get reinstated as a potential candidate for federal office or yeah. state office if yeah. you're an insurrectionist? They give you a process. The 14th Amendment says, go to Congress, get a waiver. Two thirds. Yep. Right? So they can do that. There's a constitutional process to do that. Trump's lawyers say that's unconstitutional because it says that it's the waiver from Congress has to come too early. That the waiver is actually after you win your election. Got it. Okay. Does that sound... The way that other things that disable you from being a candidate. Is that how it works? <laughs> I mean, no, but like this is the, these are the Trump attorneys. Like, the, like once again, we've just like allowed an entire sort of, you know, masthead of people who just like don't believe in being connected to reality or that reality is like malleable, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that this is something that the state government could do. If Trump had pushed his, remember Trump filed for reelection literally like the next the day after the election yep he could have and then immediately after january 6th when the insurrection thing were coming along he could have gone to state courts and been like i need you to rule on this state courts can do this right he can run it up the chain and then he can ask if there's a problem he can run it to scotus he can run it to congress if he if he loses all of those yep he has remedies the fact that he waited too long is now being ruled in his favor great i love right. it i love that we're rushing things i love that we are applying uh you know bend the rules around the uh worst person in the group project sort of philosophy mm-hmm. here great yep and they tried to liken it to residency requirements where you're simply required to reside in the state by the day of the election great right okay uh but there again but there are plenty of other limits that get enacted that prevent ballot certification. Yep. Right? I want to note that there is a process again (laughs) to remove your disability there. It says, occupy the state by this day. Similarly, it's been ruled uh, uh, okay to be like, to get on the ballot, you have to do these things by this date, by the filing date. There is a place where people get pushed off the ballot because they wait too long. It doesn't go up to election day. So there are traditions weighing in both directions. So what did we talk about? According to the Constitution and according to American law, who runs elections? Is it the federal government or is it the states? I mean, it has to be the states. Like, it, it, it has to be the states based on... I mean, these are, this is even like an originalist reading of how it has to go, right? Like, this is the only time that I'm like, yep, originalism, spot on here. So I want to make this clear. This is a state's rights argument yeah. I am fucking making right now. But like the this is a case where it's actually very, very tre- clear. The Tenth Amendment says that like the powers that are delegated to the federal government or the federal government has. But in cases where it's the cases are the tradition or expressly delegated to the states, the states have the power. Yeah. This is just a Tenth Amendment federalism issue. The states have the power to determine who's on their goddamn ballot. That's it. 
I'm sorry. I'm angry because this is like crystal clear. <laughs> States have been doing this forever. And the justices then raised a question, but this could lead to chaos. What if you have a candidate who's on one ballot, but not another state's ballot? So, Sarah, can I ask you a question? What? Do we have the same candidates on every ballot for every uh, federal election in every state? No. No, why I mean, not? I, 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 this is mad. This is one of the most maddening. This is so mm-hmm. bonkers maddening. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at the presidential ballot, in a variety of states, in all 50 states, you will find substantial differences. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Some minor candidates will be on one ballot and not another. This is Has what... the Supreme Court ruled that this is constitutionally depriving those people? No, of... they didn't meet the requirements in every state. And who determines those requirements? The fucking states! God damn it! Like, that's what I mean! I feel like I'm gonna tear my fucking hair yeah. out! And generally, the Supreme Court has said as long as they're abiding by the overall constitutional structure, right? The states can make those determinations. Courts can make a determination if you're 35. They can make a determination if you have an elig- uh, a residency eligibility. Do you have the appropriate number of signatures, real signatures on your, you know, they can make those determinations. Oh my God. So in Colorado, there was a trial. <sighs> Yeah. There were evidentiary hearings. There were there was an appeals process. We had this whole thing, right? And yet somehow the Supreme Court is saying that the state of Colorado in this for this one candidate, this one specific thing is incapable of making a finding of law and fact. This is how it's th- this is the system working perfectly. Do you know what I mean? Like this is the constitutionally derived system working exactly as it's intended to, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, also, do you, do we think for a second that fucking Trump was going to win Colorado? This is this is the other thing that is so maddening is like he's being taken off the ballot, and states were like, it's not like he's it's not a swing state. It's not like he had a, much of a fighting chance to be on the on to to win the state anyway to win those electoral seats. Like mm-hmm. very few of them are like split electoral. Like very few states generally split their electoral votes. Like, mm-hmm. but some do. Some do, sure. But I'm saying that shit's weird. But it's determined by the state. Yeah, the state handles their elections. This is how it works. And the only justice I've said that there are maybe eight who were de- probably going to rule for Trump. The only justice who seemed to want to do their job was Justice Sotomayor. Of course. And this made me very irritated with Kagan and with Ketanji Brown-Jackson. They might have other reasons why they were... We'll get to that in a minute. But Sotomayor says the things that I'm thinking. She says to Trump's attorney, I understand you're relying on Griffin. Griffin was not a presidential Supreme Court decision. Trump's attorney says, that's correct. And then Soto, Soto, Justice Sotomayor says, it was a circuit court decision by a justice who, when he became a justice, writes in the Jefferson Davis case, he assumed that Jefferson Davis would be ineligible to hold any office, particularly the presidency, and treated, and this is his words, Section 3 is executing itself, needing no legislation on the part of Congress to give it effect. So you're relying on a non-presidential case by a justice who later takes back what he said. It's so exhausting. 
Wait, no, I, I, I want to know what Kagan and Kataji Brown Jackson did that, like, what, what is going on here? So Kagan and Jackson both lean heavily on the chaos point, right? That this will cause chaos uh, if states start excluding um, ah, ah. people from the ballot. Like they, the multiple justices go with the hypothetical, like that Republican states or red states will start excluding other people from the ballot, claiming yep. that they've had an insurrection. Yeah. But this led to a very interesting colloquy, which ultimately was resolved by, or at least ended by Roberts, in which essentially the the Colorado's attorney says, if there there are issues over the definition of insurrection. If states are applying this standard differently, well, Sarah, let me ask you, when we have different federal courts, like uh, different um, circuits answering the same question of constitutional law differently, who resolves that? Uh, generally higher courts than that. So the Supreme Supreme Court. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Right. This is literally their number one job. <laughs> is resolving circuit splits, right? If you want to know why there's so many law review articles about circuit splits, this is why, because those cases tend to go on to become Supreme Court cases because we want to harmonize issues of constitutional law between the states. So if this happened, this chaos happened, how would this normally be resolved? The Supreme Court would re- would resolve this exact problem. Like, Good. okay, uh... This is this is my great fear, right? With the with the Trump judge appoint, appointees, um, which is I think that's a really big ask to assume that everybody would universally apply the standard, right? Like, don't you mm-hmm. think that in, in in a world where it's just kind of fine for you to be like, I reject your reality and I substitute my own? Yeah, um, I wh- no doubt think this would happen. Okay, but the remedy is clear. The Supreme Court steps in and says. You are applying the standard properly. You are not. Here is the standard. Now go and fucking apply it. Right? And if uh, and if certain circuits continue to refuse to do so, they keep getting overturned by the Supreme Court. They get slapped down and sanctioned the fuck out of. Right? That's how it works. So, so basically, uh, a lot of the Supreme Court justices are saying, you know, someone should really come in here and figure this out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it ain't fucking going to be us. And they point to Congress. They're like, Congress can pass a statute defining this, right? They did it in 1870. I want to note that they then got rid of it later. (sighs) And it looks like they got rid of it during a legislative cleanup. Guess why? Why did they get a, get get rid of a provision for keeping Civil War era people out of office? I mean, it's probably around the same time that they started putting up all the Confederate monuments. Like when you get just far enough away from something that you can start romanticizing it again. And also, all those people were dead. Oh, sure. There you go. You, you don't need laws on the books that only target a group of people, all of whom are dead. <laughs> oh. So this is the thing that. In an actual Supreme Court decision, the Jefferson Davis case, Justice Chase makes it very clear that there does not need to be congressional action to bar Jefferson Davis, the president of the goddamn Confederacy, 
from office because the insurrection clause already does that. Self-evident. Self-evident, right? And I want to make this clear. That is the mandatory precedent. Yeah. Not Griffin's case. (laughs) That's the mandatory precedent. And I want to note, far more directly applicable because we're talking about presidential level appointment, uh, presidential level office, not some random judge. Yeah. Okay. So if you can sense my frustration, it's because this is like, I told you this before, I'm going to repeat it again. When I was listening to the oral arguments, I got noticeably dumber. (laughs) And I don't want to keep harping on this point. We can go on and on about why it's all bullshit. Why Justice Roberts is like, man, then we'd have to rule on a whole bunch of cases about insurrection. That seems like a lot of goddamn work. And Kavanaugh's like, yeah, that seems like a lot of work. I don't want to work. I want to drink beer. And Roberts is like, and I don't want Trumpists to come after me and my family. So I'm not going to do my job. Congress, someone else handle this. We're not handling it. Yeah. And then like se- the, then seven other justices are like, yeah, sounds good. And Sotomayor is like, WTF, guys? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that I don't think that uh, their their uh, judgments here, their prediction that Trumpists would absolutely come after them in every conceivable way uh, is wrong at all. But like, again, y'all are the people who who courted this kind of rabid frothing populism. So Mm -hmm. lay down with it, like lay down with your fucking dogs. Yeah. And so like. There's a lot of bullshit back and forth about tiny little things. Gorsuch gets into the all of the minutia about office of the United States versus officer of the United States, yada, yada, yada. But again, he never references the history. He's an originalist and a textualist. So you can read the text, but you have to read the text in the context of the post-Civil War era. Does it make sense or is there any evidence that... The pe- that the drafters of the 14th Amendment would have or intended to exempt the presidency. Obviously not. I mean, the, obviously I mean, not. Like this is again, I do. This does kind of make me want to tear my hair out because I it it feels like when you're having an argument with a person who would, you know, the emotionally immature person who would rather die than be wrong, right? Like, mm-hmm. to the point they start pulling out some of the most ridiculous, insane things, and then very, very earnestly defending those insane things. And all of this makes me feel like I've taken industrial fucking strength crazy pills. And I guess the one thing that, like, I'm trying to, like, my my brain is trying to find the last turtle on, all, on the turtles all the way down, which, of course, is impossible. But yep. the smallest turtle to me is... I guess if a turtle exists that because January 6th was not a state's action, right? It was not a, uh, no forms were signed, right? Like that is what keeps it from being equivalent to the, the civil war, the Confederacy, uh, secession, like, because we're not actually at any kind of actual secession, that that is all that could possibly Mm -hmm. qualify as insurrection. Yeah, so this is something that Trump's lawyers also argued, that an insurrection has to be a concerted, organized effort mm. to use violence to uh, prevent the enactment, the uh, execution of laws. And Justice Jackson, I give her credit for this, said, oh, so if it's a chaotic effort to use violence, it's not an insurrection? There you go. Right? Like, 
this is obviously bullshit. Um, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit, it's one of those tricks that lawyers use all the time where they try to define something just narrowly enough that it seems reasonable, but then just happens to exclude like what their client did. Yeah. Right. Just narrowly enough. And this is something that Sotomayor brings up with talking about this office versus officer thing, right? That she says that like, essentially that it only holds to people who have not, who have been president, but not held any other office. Yep. And as she said, every other president essentially has held an office of some other kind, whether it's mayor, senator, um, congressperson, or George Washington, like commander in chief of the of the armed forces, um, to the Constitution. Yep. She said, and I quote, "Like, um, where's the thing? Uh, doesn't it? Oh." Sorry, I don't, I don't have the exact quote here. It's basically, she says, this seems like a very gerrymandered rule that applies just to your client. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Because we've never had somebody who just stepped out of the fucking, like, you know, pop culture ether and into the presidency because we live in clown times. Yeah. And Kagan then says, it seems, you know, there's, you, there's no particular reason, and you can think of lots of reasons for the contrary, to say that the only people who have engaged in insurrection who are not disqualified for office are presidents who have not held high office before. Why would that rule exist? And Trump's lawyer says, yeah, I don't think there's a good rationale. Uh, And then later says, this was the text that was settled upon, and it does seem on that President Trump would fall through the cracks, in a sense. If... I, I realize that, you, that the listeners can't see me, but I am exasperatedly opening my mouth and waving my hands because I am, I'm speechless. Like, and Kagan then says, like, it says, is there any better reason for saying that an insurrectionist cannot hold the whole panoply of offices in the United States, but we're perfectly fine with that insurrectionist being president? To which Trump's lawyer says, I think that's an even tougher argument for us to make as a policy matter. Because one would think of all offices, the presidency would be the one you'd want to keep out the Confederate insurrectionists. Whoa, no shit. That's the commander in chief of the army. So again, that's why we're leaning on the officer of argument than the office under. So I want to note here, this is a case where we are using the fact that the phrasing is officer of versus office under to say we should let insurrectionists be president. Like, I am someone who does take text seriously, but I also take consequences seriously, outcomes seriously. Oh I think God. that the whole point of a system of laws is to create a world in which we actually, a society in which we actually want to live that can operate. It's not, or as one person said, the constitution is not a suicide pact. Oh my God, Matt. I feel like I felt the day that I read The Color of the Law all in one single day. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of wanted to like go into a corner and scream into it until I lost both my voice and hearing. Yeah. Literally, Trump's lawyer is basically saying, well, it's not our fault that they wrote that the suicide pact into the Constitution. But, you know, they use office as opposed to they used officer as opposed to office. So, you know, we're just stuck drinking this. Making Donald Trump drink, make us drink Kool-Aid. I, I, does any better, does any better 
like sort of metaphor exists for the United States than one angry, stupid old man making angry, stupid arguments to the to the SCOTUS to get on the ballot versus a, f- a fumbling old man uh, with active and visible cognitive decline, like mm-hmm. before our very eyes. And they are the ones, one of the two of them are going to run the United States. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, pretty much. And like, so I, I, I want to apologize to Justice Thomas. He did ask a stupid question later as well. Um, so he asked a question about contempt. He asked for contemporaneous examples where states uh, shortly after the adoption of the 14th amendment, where states disqualified national candidates. Yep. Right. On their ballots. And the answer is no. There's one, uh, of Congressman Christie who was elected in Georgia in 1868 and the governor of Georgia declined to certify the results because Mr. Christie was disqualified. Mm. But the reason states did not deny ballot access back in the day was because back then you either voted not for a candidate but for the party yep. or they were all pure write-in. Yep. So there was no process then to determine whether or not people were qualified before the voting happened because Correct. you were, again, writing it in or just voting for the party. You weren't writing you – were, you either had to write congressman thus and such – Right. If you wanted to vote for Jefferson Davis, you'd have to write in Jefferson Davis mm-hmm. or you'd vote for the, 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 the party and then they would try to put Jefferson Davis in office. You, you would entrust that your party would see Jefferson Davis as the most qualified to pursue the office, right? Exactly. Now we do have processes that states created under their Article 1 and Article 2 powers to run the elections that do this determination ahead of time. Ding, 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 ding. Right? Because we no longer just vote for parties. We no longer have pure write-in ballots. So this is where originalism gets dumb. It's like asking, well, this doesn't, like, do you have something from around the time the Second Amendment was drafted where it covered rocket launchers? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. the answer is obvious or assault rifles yep. and the answer is obviously no they didn't fucking exist back then yep and the ballots they're asking for that process didn't fucking exist back then but the supreme court when it comes to the second amendment is very easy can make the analogies right the proper historical comparisons with <sighs> the most leniency yep possible for guns but when it comes to keeping an insurrectionist out of the white house suddenly Suddenly, we're too dumb to recognize these historical differences. I just, I hate it here so much, Matt. Like, yeah. I, I don't know what we did karmically or whatever in some better timeline that landed us here. But boy, we plinkoed all the way left. How did we get all of, how, we started off in the middle and we plinkoed all the way to the zero dollars. Yes, like, I'm just going to be flat out that, like, this is – so as you noted before, when someone thinks they have a losing argument, they they don't just admit, I just want this because I want it most yeah. of the time. Certainly if you're not a lawyer. If you're a lawyer, you don't do that. What do they do? 
I mean, you you just keep arguing and arguing and arguing until you're blue in the face, I guess. Yep, you just flail around and you never shut the fuck up and you bring up extraneous crap and you make bad arguments. You throw spaghetti against the wall. Yep. But in this case, they didn't cook the spaghetti. <laughs> like, these are obviously, obviously bullshit arguments. And I think that this is a court that recognizes if they are the ones who keep Donald Trump off the ballot, they draw giant targets on their backs personally. Yep. yep. And a certain portion of, of the base, and in, for the conservative justices, their friends, will no longer think that the Supreme Court is an institution that is legitimate. Yep. Meanwhile, if they, if they don't, then people like me and people who like care about things like rule of law and like logical goddamn consistency. Yep. And we already kind of don't believe the Supreme Court is legitimate, but like we'll be mad at them. But the thing is, is that a for the conservative justices, they don't give a shit about us. No, certainly not. And second, they know I'm also not going to gum with a gun to their door and kill them. So this is a case where I feel like the personal and political incentives of the justices predetermined the outcome. Of course. And because there is no, honestly, like, there's no legally, there's no legal argument that has integrity that gets them there. Yep. They're literally just throwing up a giant smokescreen of irrelevant bu- bullshit to try to give it the slightest veneer of legitimacy. And to me, it is cowardice in its most raw expression. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Cowardice on the part of the justices, for sure. Like, cowardice on the part of especially the, the liberal justices. And, like, also the most predictable fucking outcome, like I said, of, like, deciding to sort of bring this style of populism on board, right? Like, eventually, the tiger has got you. You don't have the tiger by the tail anymore. Yeah. And this is, unfortunately, where I come in to criticize Kagan a bit. Because she notes... Like, so the, the lawyer for, in response to questions by Justice Kavanaugh, the lawyer for Colorado says, ultimately, it's this court that's going to decide the question of federal constitutional eligibility and settle the issue for the nation. And certainly, it's not unusual that questions of national importance come up through different states. And Justice Kagan replies, well, I suppose this court would be saying something along the lines of that a state has the power to do it. But I guess I was, I was asking you to go a little bit further and saying, why should that be the right rule? Why should a single state have the ability to make this determination not only for their citizens, but for the rest of the nation? But I want to note that this question is just factually wrong. Yeah. Colorado is not barring him from the ballots of other states. They're yep. barring him only from the ballot of Colorado. Yep. I want to make that very clear. Other states may reach different conclusions, yep. right? And then it would be the Supreme Court who would have to decide which one of them on this set of facts has the right read of the Constitution in this specific case. Yes, 
every election cycle there while there are January 6th people still running around. So for the next 50 years, 60 years, there are going to be January 6th people trying to run for office. Yep. The court will have to rule on that. Guess what? That's your job. It's your one job, one might say. It's your one single job. Yeah. Right? That like, and the lawyer for Colorado says it very plainly. If states are going to use the federal constitutional disqualification as a ballot access determinant, then it's creating a federal constitutional question that then this court decides. Yep. Right? It should be pretty straight. Sounds straightforward to me. An idiot. Yeah. And then Barrett says, you know, if we do that, then, uh, and then now I'm quoting, we're going to, uh, some states would say, well, you know, we're going to keep them on the ballot anyway. I mean, they're allowed to do that. Like, yeah, they're that's then, how that works. And the thing is, is that, you know what the then someone would appeal. Yep. And the Supreme Court would be like, no, we have ruled him as ineligible. Strike him from your goddamn ballot. And if you don't. None of your electoral, then you are out of uh, 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 then none of the, the electoral votes for him from your state will count. They will be yep. automatically given to the person who gets the most, the uh, uh, the um, candidate with the most votes who is eligible for the office. There's a simple remedy to a state trying to buck you. The Supreme Court does this shit all the time. They overrule states who uh, fuck who say no, try to nullify uh, Supreme Court um, decisions. They overrule them all the time. And I want to use the example of Brown v. Board. Brown v. Board happens. We have to integrate the schools. Does every state comply? Of course not. (laughs) No. Of course not. So what did the president do? Uh, Sent the the National Guard, right, to escort kids into schools, which was... Ding, ding, ding. Side note, we should also do an episode about the the bullshit that's happening on the southern border. Because, again, SCOTUS also ruled on that and Texas was like, mmm, pass. Yep. And, like, we're going to talk about that. But, like, this court is very, very confident in exercising its power when it wants to. (sighs) But suddenly, in the moment when they have the strongest obligation to safeguard our Republic. They find the tiny, tiny scared mouse inside themselves and say, not us. We're not fucking doing this. But of course, you know, if there's going to be cases about gun control or cases about, you know, they're about to strike down Chevron most likely and, and take all power for uh, uh, overseeing administrative law rulings. So they think that they are qualified somehow to like overrule the EPA on pollution standards, but they are not qualified to answer a constitutional question about the meaning of the 14th amendment. How I have aged 25 years in the last 47 minutes. How is it possible? (laughs) Like I'm going to be, I'm just going to be fully honest that like, this is a sign of yet another one of our institutions. You know, the courts did a good job in the post-2020 election era knocking down all of the challenges to the vote. 
but this is another one of our institutions and it's going to be near unanimous collapsing before our eyes. I, I'm, 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 I, I feel the weight of this world and all the turtles under it on my yeah. back suddenly. <laughs> and the thing is, Sarah, they're probably going to get away with it because I think most, the most likely outcome is Trump doesn't win. I still yeah. think that it's unlikely that Trump doesn't win, but I don't want us to forget that like so many others before them, the justices had a chance to just stop him. To take the burden on themselves, the burden that they accepted when they took the oath of office and accepted these positions of power. Yep. Right? That their ultimate duty is to the Constitution, to the Republic, to safeguard our democracy. A lot of things we can argue about. We can argue about tax policy. We can argue about the meaning of environmental regulations. We can argue about a lot of these little fiddly things. But this is a matter of, do we allow someone who tried to overthrow the government another bite at the apple? Yep. And every single person, private citizen or someone who's taken an oath to the Constitution, if they have the opportunity to stand up and say, fuck you, no, you can't do this, it is their obligation as an American citizen, and particularly as a Supreme Court justice, to say, you know... You don't get a second chance. Especially a Supreme Court justice who took the job on knowing full well that this would be part of the risk, right? Like enough of these people have been around in these sort of post-Trump era that like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I am surprised at our liberal justices uh, this time, I have to say, because, you know, they, they expect to be a target from these vicious morons anyway. And I'm not surprised, obviously, that the conservative justices are going the way that they're going. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, like I, I said. I can see possibly Kagan and Jackson trying to limit the scope of this, right? Um I could see them trying to join the majority in hopes of shaping the law somewhat here and limiting it so that it doesn't make the insurrection clause fully dead letter. I think I obviously disagree with that as a strategy because I think that uh, from what the conservative justices have shown over the years, if they have five votes, they're just going to go whole hog. They've done it before. They're going to do it again. And like, but I get it. And I also understand why they might personally feel like this is the least bad choice available to them. Because unlike some of the others on the court who don't care if the Supreme Court's legitimacy gets burnt to ash, they do eventually want the Supreme Court to be able to issue rulings with legitimacy. And if they view keeping institutional legitimacy as as this ruling is necessary to that, so that, let's say, in the future, let's say Trump does win office and people challenge it. And then there's randomly uh, a liberal majority on the court and they rule properly that he's not eligible, that the court would have enough legitimacy to push that through. 
I think the mistaken belief there is that it'll be legitimate among people who already want Trump gone. Trump supporters, no matter what you rule here, the moment you go against him, you're dead to them or they will try to kill you. So I understand some of their logic. Maybe they really are persuaded by these terrible arguments, in which case I'm just, I misread them. Um, I disagree with it, but I understand where they're coming from. I think they're wrong. Um, And I think Sotomayor and even they at times expressed why they're wrong. That the number one overriding concern here has to be keeping an insurrectionist out of the White House. And like, if that isn't, if if the insurrection clause can't do that, then it should not exist. Yep, yep. Yes, I was going to say, you took the words right out of my mouth, which is like, if we're not going to apply it, then like, there's no reason for us to be abiding by it, right? Like, this, uh, this is, in other words, uh, this is the SCOTUS decision that is the setting on fire the crash train car full of uh, flammable chemicals, right? Like, weirdly, possibly the best possible decision to make at the time, though it seems like not ideal, let's say. And I, and I think it's one where, like, if we're lucky enough that there are real histories written, because we're not, we don't live in the great uh, under God Emperor Don Jr. Um, I think history, history will look re- back very, very harshly, not just on this decision, but on the court in general, on its unwillingness to step up to safeguard our democracy, while at the same time, its glee in annihilating constitutional protections for um, marginalized and vulnerable people. And it will be reviled, I think, rightly, as one of the, if not the worst, Supreme Court post-Civil War. You know what? I deserve this. I deserve this because I tried to Pollyanna at the beginning. I deserve (laughs) all the feelings that I feel right now because I tried to make a joke about how depressing this is going to be. And now I feel like uh, just a pillar of ash. I I turn to look at my burning city. (laughs) But we have, we still have a way out. Still vote the fucker. Yeah. Vote the fucker down. Just make him lose everywhere. Make him lose hard. Make him lose huge. Make him lose bigly. Got to. Yeah, that like the Supreme Court can shirk its responsibility, but that just makes it that much more imperative than we do ours. I'm not kidding you. I have to go like sit in the dark after this for just like a just like a hot minute. You are not (laughs) fucking around with this like weapons grade depressing shit, Matt. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I spent a lot of time after this. Like I met some clients afterward, just had to put it out of my mind. And then I just came home, poured myself a glass and uh, sat in the tub with a candle, <laughs> like trying to just like unclench all of the muscles in my body because like, so I feel like, so I'm going to bring up an idea from economics, like the free rider problem, right? People who rely on other people doing the right thing so they yeah. can reap the rewards without actually having to do the work. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're in the era of political free riders mm-hmm. um, that the Republicans can't pass a goddamn budget, raise the debt ceiling, uh, 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 send weapons to Ukraine um, to fucking fight Russia. They can't do any of that. So they have to rely on the Democrats to do the right thing. And 
Congress is in, has and the congressional Republicans or Republican leadership were incapable of just saying, fuck, no, don't vote for Trump. He's a wannabe uh, uh, dictator. So we're just going to lose this election and then we'll try again next time. Right. Instead, they had to free ride on all of our efforts and all the fucking people whose lives in some cases were ended because of the incompetence and malice of the Trump administration. They relied on us to do the right thing. And we see the Supreme Court doing it again. Well, uh, let's wrap it up here because I don't know how much my, I truly don't know how much more of this my soul can take. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, the thing that does, that does get me moving is that like, you know, it's like a class project, except like class project is our entire democracy. But like, it's a class project, you know, where there's some people who don't do a goddamn thing. I'm familiar, yes. So what do you do? You do your best, man. Yeah. You do, you get it done. And then later, you're like, I'm never going to work with that goddamn person again. Right? Then you hope they walk in front of a bus. (laughs) And the thing is, as as the the meme goes, like, I want all the members of my team uh, when I, at my funeral, to uh, pick up my coffin and, and lay me in the ground so they can let me down one more time. Yep. And, like, just port on all the faces of the Supreme Court justices, or the conservative justices here, Mitch McConnell, all those who voted against impeachment. But the thing is, is that there, luckily, we still seem to have a majority of Americans who are willing to do the right thing. Um, Can they just... just like, that, makes, that gives me some hope. I don't want it to be a closed community, but I do want all of those people... To have to live together and directly encounter the constant consequences of only taking care of yourself and your immediate needs. I know it's a pipe dream, but God, I can dream. Well, we can have an episode later uh, about potential secession scenarios and why I think the chance of our union breaking up is pretty high over the next 100 years if things don't change. Cool. Great. I'm going to just keep the razors (laughs) in the garage during that episode. By the way, pretty high. I still think I peg it like 10 to 15%, but like that's way higher than comfortable. Still don't love it. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but Sarah, let's. Miss Metal it. Honey, Metal Honey, M E T A L H O N E Y. It's hot, honey. <laughs> just fucking buy it. Good God. Just and please. And on a sweet note, you, 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 need, you need the extra hit of sweetness in your life uh, to keep you going because uh, we got a long road till November, people, and it's not. The road's going to be bumpy as fuck. Just please, just please volunteer to phone bank. It's super easy. You're going to be great. But, uh, oh my God. <laughs> so as always, you know, you can find us on uh, the platform formerly known as Twitter at Perp Stew. Like, subscribe, share, all that stuff. Uh, and maybe we'll do a Patreon announcement. So when you are in your bathtub alone trying to, you know, recover, um, you'll have some very very strange erotica that sarah will read for you um and i'll edit out all of her giggling in between takes crying it'll be crying if it's anything like this it'll just be tears (laughs) soft sniffles (laughs) that that, that's the new vibe of the show Uh, (laughs) soft sniffles and tears Um, so that's gonna do it for us this week, uh, uh, this has been the Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.